0: amen well this morning my message as you can see is entitled how how shall a Christian live in a godless world in a godless world? Take your Bible look at first Corinthians chapter 16 and uh, this uh, is our text this morning just two verses verses 13 and verse 14. Uh, Paul writes, as he closes out this first letter to the Corinthian believers at Corinth, he says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. Well, how should a Christian live in uh, a godless day? Well, it's no doubt uh, that we live in a declining culture. It's no doubt. It's like boiling frogs, though. It's hard to, to see it. When you boil frogs, uh, you don't boil the water and then throw the frogs in. They're smart enough and they're little pea-brain-size brain, pea-size uh, brain, pea brain, to jump out when they hit the hot water, like you would. But you just put them in and you put it on simmer and increasingly warm it. Oh, it feels like a spa. Oh, is this, is this anything better than this? And before you know it, you got boiled frogs. They didn't realize. And that's the way declension the happens in, in culture and in society. I'm telling you, that's what it is. And we are seeing it in ever increasing ways in this land that was built upon the Word of God, often called by the founders of the New Jerusalem, the New Israel, in ways that just would amaze you and uh, the rewriting of history and the rewriting of all that that goes on in the name of trying to make culture and society in someone else's image other than the image of the Word of God. We live in that day. Now, I'm reminded we didn't have... Are we having a problem with that, Jay? We, we live, we, I'm reminded we didn't have a choice. So no one asked me, Terry, to want to be born in this. We didn't, but the Lord trusts us. If you belong to Him, God has you here for a reason. And when it gets uh, perhaps a little bit harder, He's trusted us to stand for Him, even in a day of declension. Our day has rejected God in His wonderful Word. Today is a day in which you can have courses in, in the Quran or Islam or uh, Confucius, but you dare not have a Bible study in a public school. It's incredible, isn't it? You go to Russia, you can have them. In fact, they ask you, please come into our school and teach us the Bible. You can go in most places in the world. But in the land of the free and the brave, you've got to be kidding. You'll have the ACLU call you on the phone and threaten all sorts of lawsuit. That's the day we live in. It is. Wake up if you're not aware of it. See, some of you say, I don't read the papers. It's all bad news. Well, mm, to some extent, that's true. But it is declining. It is declining. What's on TV today that you and I watch and maybe get moderately upset, I dare say your grandparents would have a heart attack over. They wouldn't believe it. There's a quantum leap in the difference. It's huge. That's our day. God's word is, re- and his wonderful word is rejected as a basis for government. It's interesting to watch people trying to rewrite government. We are created uh, equal because God the Creator created us equal. That's why men are equal. God gave that to us. That's uh, often conveniently forgot when that expression is yanked out of the Declaration of Independence. The Creator has endowed us with that, and His name is the Lord. And and not only that, and it's a little harder to change the furniture of biblical truth and moorings of our our historicity as a government when in days gone by they put in the Cornishes like the Supreme Court and other places uh, things that, that represented biblical truth. It's hard to get rid of those things. It's kind of an embarrassment, you know? you got to try and chisel out some of those things. It's easier to... You know, particularly when you have a population that don't think very much. They just want to be amused and entertained. You know what amusement means? A is the word meaning negation, no or non. Muse. Muse means to think. It's the realm of non-thinking. That's called amusement. Oh, don't we love that as Americans? Just amuse me. I don't want to think. Do you know you use, when you watch a program on TV, less brain than when you're sleeping? How about that? You say, well, I'm just really into this. No, you're not. (laughs) And we know now with MRI that your brain is just about switched off. That's right. That's where we are. And that's our culture. In education, it's the same way. I heard Dr. D. James Kennedy say the other week they have now, in a recent survey, 60% of American children are uneducatable. It's not that they're stupid. It's not that they have ridiculously low IQs. They're uneducatable because of all of the problems in their homes. That now they go to school, they don't know where dad is, they don't know where mom is, they don't know where, and then their brother got killed and gangs and all this drug and everything else and all the problems. of Now they're going to sit there and learn algebra. you got to be kidding me. And Kennedy went on and on, and as only he can, it was wonderful, uh, sounding alarm. Well, you know, then you say, what happens to the next generation? And then the next, it's in a movement here, and it's not going in the right direction, and we live in this pond, and it's in declension. How about family? I don't need to say anything about it. How about morals? It's in declension. I saw a statistic last week. Uh, Now 51% of American households that have children, 51% are single moms. The old traditional home setting is just about gone. Just about gone. Isn't that amazing? In the land of the free and the brave. And we, I do say that, uh, I do have a heart for single moms. I think we as a church need to be very tender to that. I think MacArthur's right when he says that we ought to treat them almost like widows, that we come in and we help them and help their children and almost take them in and help them with role models. That's so important. We're not standing there saying, oh, that's not the way it should be. We ought to be filled with mercy and love, reaching out, caring for people. That's the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just saying, this is the world we live in. Wake up and smell the coffee if somehow you're missing it. Therefore, we are, as a people, I suggest, stumbling into the dark as as a country. The Bible tells us that, what, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation. It builds it up. It's a wonderful thing. We talked last week, look at that, on the work ethic. Blessed be the company. You would say this even if you were unsafe. That had a company filled with Christians that realized they work for the Lord. When they go to work, an honest day for an honest dollar, whatever the pay is, there's going to be productivity. There's going to be blessing. Well, we see that in a company. It's the same thing in a family. It's the same thing when a country has more of that than less than that. There will be productivity. There will be blessing and all the rest that goes with, with that. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach. And the Bible also says the nation that forgets God will be thrown into the sea. Now, we're not uh, the theocratic nation of Israel. I realize that. There is the church. We're spiritual Israel in that sense. Abraham is our father. But we have received a great legacy in this land, uh, America. You read some of the founding documents. They're incredible. And uh, we, we, we have received a great heritage. There's no question about it. And uh, the nation that forgets God, we knew God. There was a sense that God was the foundation. This was his nation, New Jerusalem, some of the early founders called it, that forgets God, willfully turns their back in all sorts of educated, sophisticated. And we walk away from the things that are sacred and precious and true. Get ready for the whirlwind. Get ready. God said to the nation Israel, I'll bless you if you love me and serve me and walk. You can't imagine. You'll, you'll be the lender to all the nations. I'll prosper you and fill your barns overflowing. I'll protect your children and your borders will be saved. Even your enemies will live at peace with you. But if you don't, get ready. You will borrow from all the nations, you'll be taken into slavery. You'll plant, but you won't get a harvest. You'll be at war on all sides. Is any wonder I scratch my head and, 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 and I look at the national sins and the things that we allow and just sort of normal, and now we realize, wow, we're having a problem with, uh, with all sorts of things. We don't make anything much anymore. Boy, that's going to hang us out there in times to come. Imagine when a war comes. We're going to have China make our bombs when we've closed all the industries that make that? I realize that. We say, well, we're we're in the service industry now. We're in the high tech, paperless, and all that. What do you do when an enemy is breathing down your throat? You can't even make weapons. Well, we still do that. But when we stumble into the dark and you have foolishness leading the way, I can't wait to see, I don't want to see, the problems that that will result in. Look at the quagmire in the Middle East and around the world. We have leaky borders. We can't even protect the border from from Mexico. The idiots, see, I just my two-cent opinion. I, I just saw this two weeks ago in the paper. The idiots who passed this thing, we put our National Guards down there and hit some brilliant... Someone, politicians, they can't shoot at anyone crossing. So the paper recorded that the ones crossing were shooting at our troops, and our troops were running and hiding. I go like, what kind of lame-brained idiot came up with that? And that's kind of what happens when you start stumbling, slumbering into the darkness. You go like, okay, you want to be in a stupor? You turned your back on me. You've kicked me out of the school. You've got new ideas on what family ought to look like, the drug culture, the perversion. You wait and see what's going to happen. That's, what God, that's the world we live in. I Don't panic. God is trusting us to live as soldiers of the cross, and he's trusting us to live at such a day for him. So what? That it may be a little harder than it was at other times. Each age has its challenge. I realize that. But this is our day. Make no mistake about it. Remember, God is not mocked. For Whatever a man sows, whatever a person sows, they reap. It's the law of the farmer. It's true in your life. Whatever you sow, it will, you will reap it. You plant those seeds of good things, virtue, righteousness, godliness. You will produce that harvest in your life. But if you, if you sow into your life that which is evil, wicked, sinful, even little creaks, cracks in your armor like a gladiator, if you will let that in, it will reap some evil corruption in your life. And it's true in your life individual. It's true in your family. It's true in our churches. It's true in our country. It's the law of the farmer. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, he will reap. You can write that down and underline it. <clears throat> and we do well to do that, don't we? Well, we are already seeing Christians suffering persecution. It, it's amazing, the persecution that's coming. And, and, and it, it, don't be surprised when we see more and more of it. Our world is tolerance. They tell us of everything, except what? Biblical Christianity. Tolerant of everything, except when you say this is what the Bible teaches, the moment you quote Jesus and say, I'm quoting a primary source here, John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. You will feel the heat of hell breathing upon you. Increasingly so. You see, in a world that that claims that everything is relative, and Einstein never believed that in moral realm, he rolled over. In fact, he spoke strongly against it. In a world, and it's the mush and the muddle of satanic confusion in the mind, a man can't even live with that. He can't. Joe Fletcher wrote the book Situation Ethics. And he said, well, you can't decide. Everything's relative. You have to wait until you're in the situation to decide what's right. Took it out of the era, the era of ob- objective truth and made it completely subjective. So what's right for me might be wrong for you, but we're all, we're all equal and our opinions are the same. Isn't it great? No way. You can't even live with that. He couldn't even live with that. I submit this, you break into his house when he was alive and steal the very royalties from that book that polluted almost a generation of thinkers at the university. He'd be the first one to go down and file charges against you and say, you robbed me? That's not right. You see, God made him, and this is God's world. And he can play these little gymnastic games in his head, but he can't live in God's world and be consistent. He can't. And so, the, so our world says uh, certain things <clears throat> like, uh, like, uh, like, like what? Well, We'll save that in a moment. You might ask the question then, what are we to do? How shall we then live? Francis Schaeffer wrote, the title was, how shall we live? Well, Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers, and we're going. To, we've just read that in 1 Corinthians 16. They lived in a very pagan land. They were wonderfully saved. Corinth was a major city, a very wealthy city. It was located on an isthmus there in Greece. It was a sailor town. Uh, there in that ancient town, uh, I said it was an isthmus, a long narrow uh, strip of land with water. They what they would do is so that the ancient mariners with their ships. So they wouldn't have to go all the way down and around. What they did, they had these enormous rollers that they would, they would bring the ships in. I would love to have seen how they did it. They would, uh, they would put them actually in dry dock, and they would put those ships on rollers and roll it across the land, the narrow land, to get it to the other side of the body of water. Incredible, mercantile, merchandise, pagan city, sailor town. In fact, in the ancient world, it was so bad that they took the name of the town and they verbalized. They made it into a verbal form. To go Corinthianizing was to go a-whoring. That's so how bad it was. And yet God, in the midst of that darkness, in the power of the gospel saved all sorts of men and women. And in that town, you went up to the pagan temple, and it was an act of perverted religious activity. You went up and you had sexual intercourse with the priestess, and that was in their perverted way, a way of worshiping God. And in the midst of that, God calls out a people. Isn't that great? He does. And the problem here is is that as they lived in that uh, terrible environment, in the increasing days in which I live in, I think of the parallel between the United States of America and Corinth. It may be the most directly related, uh, uh, thank you, Steve, uh, uh, setting in the New Testament to where we live increasingly so. And the believers at Corinth, they were so messed up. They started so well, but then they they let down their guard, and they let some of their pagan ideas come back in, and they were filled with sin. And uh, that's why... Paul wrote this letter to really deal with them, really deal with them. Well, his words are instructive uh, for us. And the verses that we read in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, we discover here five principles. I'm not going to camp out long on any of these because of time. But five principles telling us how to live for Christ in an increasing dark land. Each one of these in verses 13 and 14 is an imperative, and so they're not hunches or suggestions, okay? He comes to the end of this first letter where he's dealt with these folks that lived with all sorts of sexual perversion, division in the body, uh, lawsuits among the family of God that they were suing each other. Uh, They were were toying with a corrupted view of uh, the resurrection, some were denying it. I mean, it was creeping back into the church from the culture, from wherein they were saved. And Paul deals with each one of these issues and more. They were confused on the, on the gifts and, and parading around the upfront gifts as if somehow they were more spiritual. They were lacking in love. That's the great love chapter. first Corinthians, Paul was dealing with them on that. It was creeping back in while they lived in the world of darkness there and their light was flickering down because... They lived in a godless culture and they allowed it to enter back into their hearts and lives and they walked it into the church. And so now Paul comes to the end of this first letter and he lays down in kind of final summation uh, these principles, commands, telling them, telling us how to live for Christ in an increasing dark land. As we lose the biblical foundation that our country was founded upon, I'm reminded there'll be greater persecutions for the followers of Christ. Don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised. Especially as the days go on in the older generation uh, pass away. Don't be surprised. I thought that when Faithy's mom and dad died, you know, as an illustration of that. Godly folks. um, That, and I thought when they went to heaven, Who will replace them in their sphere of influence and the saltiness and the light for Christ, their burden for the lost? I I don't see it, and my thought is uh, the ranks are thinning. You know, don't be surprised by that. Well, let's look at these quickly. We're going to go through these fast. uh, First principle: we must be alert. Paul said, "Be on your guard." We must be alert and not fall into a spiritual stupor. It means that we must not be spiritually indifferent or listless. Be on your guard. Boxing, you know, you, you, keep, your, you keep your left, if you're right, punch, you keep the left one up. Be a, that's your guard. Keep your guard up. That's where that expression comes from. Be on your guard. There's danger out there. The word itself means to be vigilant. It means to be awake. It means to watch. If you've been in the military, oftentimes they'll say the cost of freedom is vigilance. You and I go to bed at night. I'm glad somebody's watching. Somebody's on guard. They're watching. They know there's evil out there. They're on their guard. They're vigilant. Not like this character at the Three Mile Island. Did you see that in the paper? He is in charge of safety. He was sleeping at the switch. They ought to reprimand him. We're counting on him not to blow that place up there. Well, if he does, if you're saved, you go right to heaven, I guess. But uh, he's sleeping on his switch. Don't do that, Paul said. Be on your guard. Be alert. The Christians in Corinth seemed to be in a spiritual and moral stupor. They had allowed the pagan ideas to come back into their lives and destroy their faithfulness. To God. I already said, told you some of the things they permitted. We're told in the Bible, if you just do a survey uh, of, of many things that we're to be alert, we're to be awake to, um, many things in this world of ours. And I've just given you a few. This is just a sample. Number one, the devil. Be alert, be on your guard. There's someone out there, an adversary of your soul. He's a lion. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. First Peter tells us that I have the reference. First Peter five eight and nine. Be aware. Be aware. He'll devour you. He and his uh, his cohorts, if you allow them. We should learn his strategies. He often uses the avenues of the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We should know his strategies. We live in Carlisle area here in the War College, and they study military strategy they planned the whole uh, different uh, wars that we've seen in recent right down the road here and they study their opponent you imagine they studied Saddam Hussein before they invaded there back in uh, George W senior or George or Bush senior and then the uh, the younger know his strategies beware number 2 bible tells us temptation we should be on our guard, be alert, be awake against temptation. Jesus there, and the night he was going to be arrested, he said to Peter, who uh, when Jesus went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, came back, found him sleeping. You're sleeping, Peter. Couldn't you even watch and pray for one hour? Lest you fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body's weak. Be on your guard. Beware. Beware. Now, third is apathy and indifference. Revelation chapter 3. I hit, keep your finger in our text, look at Revelation 3. These are the words of the Lord Jesus to one of the seven churches there in Asia Minor in ter- modern-day Turkey. And here, uh, the Lord has some words to say to the church at Sardis, that great ancient city where a, a group of believers were formed, and it was a great church early on. But this church uh, looked alive, but it was dead. Look at it. First uh, chapter of Revelation 3, 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of the Lord, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Wake up. That's what, our, that's what the first principle here is. Don't be in a spiritual stupor. Don't be apathetic. Don't be indifferent. Wake up. Be alert to that. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what uh, you have received and heard, and obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. That means it's coming with judgment. Wake up. Wake up. Apathy and indifference, that's hard to measure, just the very nature of that. And when you're indifferent, it's just hard to take your bodily spiritual pulse. Just, oh, I don't really care about it, you know. <laughs> Be careful about that. You're in essence saying if you, if you go day after day and week after, without reading your Bible and, and being diligent in your spiritual disciplines, you're really saying it's not important. Not important. Wake up. What, what has infected you? spiritually, that you should so think that that's not important. Don't be apathetic and don't be indifferent. Well, for false teachers and pastors, uh, this is just one of a few here, be, be alert. Uh, uh, Peter said there's going to be false teachers coming in. They're going to lead you astray. Be on the lookout for them. That's a good way you know how to remember 2 Peter. Sometimes it's good to know the themes of each book in a one-word or two-word expression. Peter's saying, uh, remember the old expression, the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming. Well, that's 2 Peter. Peter's saying the apostates are coming. That is, the false teachers are coming. They're coming, they're coming. And then when you get to Jude, guess what? They're here. They're here, they're here. They're here. That's a good way to remember a little, little summations of, uh, of New Testament. They're here. Oh my, they're here. False teachers, beyond your guard. Well, first thing, be alert. Don't fall into a spiritual stupor. Listen, I love to sleep, right? Anyone here not like sleep? It's a wonderful gift. It is. I had to fix our bed yesterday. The bed slats kept falling out. I got tired of middle of night. You know, I don't know if I jumped on one too many times and the thing gave way. I said, I'm going to bolt that thing on there so we would be like a trampoline. I'd have to get out of bed and push this mattress by and try to get the slat underneath the thing, you know? Well, I fixed that baby yesterday. <laughs> man, that thing's bolted forever. But uh, don't you love to jump in bed under the... Especially when it's real cold, like tonight. It's going to be, what five degrees. Oh, man, I'm for sleep. I love it. Really, I do. After a long day, the Bible says to the laborers, sleep is a sweet thing. Doesn't matter whether he's full or not in his belly, but sleep is a sweet gift. It is. We spend one third of our life, some of you more, some of you less, sleeping, and it's a it's a great gift to do that. We're so weak physically. Don't dare try to go. I say I'm I'm going to use that time. I'm not going to sleep. You'll be a disaster waiting to happen. You will. You will. You'll be mumbling things. You'll see all. You'll see spaceships coming down. Yeah, it's like LSD. You'll be like tripping out. What is these, ooh, these colors? Because there's a brain chemical release in your brain that happens when you don't get sleep, especially that deep sleep in those first two hours. Nothing like that. That's the best sleep. It's one thing to sleep physically, and we need to do that. Don't be asleep spiritually. Be vigilant. Be on guard. Be that way. Watch for your own souls. There's something more precious uh, out there. It's your soul and the souls of your loved ones, the souls of your family, your church. Be alert. Be alert. There's danger. And you know, we have a proneness toward it. Or he wouldn't have warned us and it wouldn't have been first in the list. Number two, uh, second principle, we must be firm. Stand firm is the command. Stand firm upon the truth of the word of God. Stand firm, Paul says, in the realm of the faith. In the faith. What does that mean? Well, the word means to hold your ground. Hold it. As if you were a soldier in battle. Not only in the first one are you to be alert, but it's it's another thing altogether to hold your ground. Right? Hold it. The Roman soldiers Uh, at least the front troops used to have spikes in their soldier's shoes that were pointed back so that they could not be pushed backward. It aided them in holding their ground or forward. And that's the picture. In the realm of the faith, we are to hold our ground. What does he mean by that? Well, the word faith used in this verse does not mean the faith of trusting. So notice the differences. You should know this by now that uh, the word faith or believe is used in a couple different ways in the New Testament. When we say, well, we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and we're saved, that's the belief of, uh, that's the faith of trust. We're trusting him. We're resting in him. We're exercising the totality of our being. Nothing in us. None of our righteousness. There is none. We're bankrupt. It's all of him. It's his righteousness given to us. That's believing faith. That's not what he's talking about talking about here, not the faith of trust, but the faith of truth. Truth, the faith. Paul said just before he died, I have kept the faith, the faith. There's an article there. The content of the truth of the gospel, i.e. the word of God. I've kept that, that system of truth. I've not deviated, but I've, I've held it. And I'm sad to say I've seen through these uh, years of my life different ones that have been picked off, willfully wandered away. Men I went to school with no longer hold to the doctrines. Not all, but some. And some in the church, and some that even filled the pulpit for me once. One man by the name of Kurt went to seminary, even got an MDiv. He was preaching my pulpit there in Indiana, and then finally walked away from the faith. And I caught up with him finally. No, I don't believe that anymore. What can we say? Was the man never saved? Probably. Hold fast. It means you must know it. You have to know the truth. You have to know the Word of God. Some of you are great at knowing basketball statistics. He's a 72% free throw shooter. My, My father used to be amazed at my older brother my older brother always struggled with school because he never worked at it. But well, you could ask him any baseball batting stats and he ran them right off. My father an engineer sat there in just total disbelief. Well how is my son failing math when he knows uh, the RBI and the triple crown and everything else. Triple crown? I guess that's what they call it. Yeah. <laughs> is that right, Roger? Or, or triple crown? I think it is. The batting you have yeah, that, that's horse racing too, isn't it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> One for Barbado anyway, right? Anyway, but uh, what was my thought on that? <laughs> oh, you're to know, you're to know. <laughs> you're to know the Word of God. We know all these other things that amount about nothing, really, but we're to know the Scriptures. That means you have to give yourself to it. Give yourself to it. Every week there's a feeding here. This is called feeding. It's more important than what we do later around the table, this spiritual feeding. And you ought to be faithful. You ought to be in attendance. You ought to be here ready to go. And you ought to take these sheets and you ought to study these things and other things or you're going to be a disaster. It's too great. The powers are too awesome. Satan is more powerful. for you. The system of the world will chew you up. And if it doesn't, it'll chew your kids up. It will. We're to be firm. Stand in the truth of the Word of God. You know, that's why we as a church, we, just, we talk about as elders, what do, we, what do we do on the webpage? That's a wonderful webpage. If you've not looked at that, you can... There's more information there than what you want. The announcements... You can, you can get any message, and then if you miss, even the handout, the blanks are filled in. I often wondered maybe that's incentive for folks to stay home. But it, uh, it's all out there for the last years. Jade does a great job keeping that up. You can even iPod it now. And it's all there. And what we decided, we were wondering, should we put our doctrinal statement out there? And we decided, let's put it all out there. Let people know where we stand. And that's where we stand. It's the, it's the best doctrinal statement I ever saw. I mean, it's hanging right out there, unashamedly, for what we stand for. Herein where I stand, that's where we stand as a church. But it's only as good as the rank and file in will say, yeah, that's where I stand, too, on the teaching of the authority of the Word of God. It's not pastoral authority. There is none. It's not papal authority. We don't believe in any of that. It's the authority of the Word of God. And a concise statement of that helps us to be able to put it into some sort of organization and you ought to know that to be able to resist the pressures of the world. So don't be carried about with every sort of new, new idea, new teaching. Our world loves the new, don't they? Here's a new idea. That's what leads so many schools far afield from where they ought to be. New ideas. And then it changes in 10 years. Oh, that's, that, oh, that was stupid. And then they had something newer, you know. That's that new thing. That's, that's where our world is. B, Satan cannot uh, uh, take saving faith from you, but he can obscure the content of your faith. And wrong belief will always lead to wrong behavior. You see, belief and lifestyle, they go hand in hand. A man will adjust his faith to allow him to live a sinful lifestyle. He'll just not hold to the convictions of the Word of God so that he can live with himself. He's got to look at himself. She has to look at herself every morning in the mirror. And so we make these adjustments and rationalize. The ability of the human heart to rationalize is almost scary to me. Almost scary. And where to hold it? Well, be firm means you must be well taught. Give yourself to knowing God and to His Word. Fight the good fight of faith. Earnestly contend for the faith, Jude 3, that was once given. You know, world, our world teaches uh, anti-biblical teachings, such as the nonsense of evolution. I don't say that there's not uh, micro-adaptation within the change. Of course there are. The variety of dogs all came from dogs. The variety for that change, of course. But macro-evolution is, uh, is unbiblical, it's atheistic to the core, and, uh, and that's our world. We came from nowhere, and they wonder, like, well, why do kids go in and blow up each other in high school? Well, you've been teaching them in biology class that we ought really never be here, and really nothing more than you're, you're pond scum, but you look a little better, and you have no purpose, no place, there's no future, and this is all there is, and it's a bummer anyways, isn't it? And so I just take my dad's shotgun down there, and there's a couple guys I hate anyway. I'm going to blow them away. Why should we be surprised at that? It's, we, we go out of the biology philosophy classroom into the social science, and we wonder why, why is it crumbling around the edges? Just tell people there's nothing there. Beyond uh, uh, freedom and dignity, that's what uh, is jammed down. God's, listen, that's not God's teaching. The heavens and the earth belong to the Lord. He spoke the word, and it all came into being. It's all His. And you and I just showed up on the bus not too many years ago. And it just makes me nauseous when people start pontificating against God and they just showed up. Thank you for your opinion. Sit down is what I want to say. God is not impressed. And be careful about that. Not only that, uh, that uh, we hear in our world that attacks the truth of the Word of God, there's no sin. No sin. Man is good. I, r- I saw the humanist manifesto there in Antioch College signed by Dewey and other. Man is good. What have they been drinking? What have they been smoking? I want to. You've got to be kidding me! Don't you can't even be honest with your own self and your own cravings and your own heart. Each of us are evil. Have an evil bent within. We're capable of the most awful thing. We are given the right opportunity. If you knew you weren't going to be caught in the midst of anger, you'd get a gun and kill somebody. You would. That potential's in you and it's in me. It's only the grace of God that cleanses us and keeps us from the expression of that. It is. It is. What else? There's no difference between male and female. What a bunch of nonsense that is. Unbelievable. A geneticist knows every cell of a woman's body is, they say, XY, and a man is, or a man is XY, and a woman's is XX. Every cell. There is a huge difference. Have you noticed? And even the wiring is wired completely different. I think women are new age. I don't know where it is. This is kind of, it's beautiful most of the time. And uh, most of the guys were in the dark a lot, aren't we? We're stumbling around here, don't have much thought. And they're, to say there's no difference, God made woman to be the capstone of his creation after he made Adam. She's beautiful in every dimension. They'll walk around and say there's no difference there. It's a plumbing difference. What an offense. That's offensive to me. It's offensive to God. Don't blur the difference. Ladies, if you're a woman, be proud of it. We hold you up. We do around here. We don't pretend that somehow you're a guy. I'm against women in the military fighting on the front line. I think it's, it's, it's part of that stupidity. Can you think of the evil that uh, foreign uh, enemy troops would do f- to women that they would catch on the front line? I, 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 can't even, I don't even want to think about the horror of that. I know what man's capable of. And then let's bring it down. You want your wife to be that? You want your sister, your daughter? I don't think so. What kind of stupidity is that? Stupid. Stupid. It's the dumbing down and the, it's the demasculating of, of men. You know? That's that's what's going on. And then when women say, Well, where are all the real men? Well, look at what the culture's been drinking. And the men are looking for the women, and the women sort of act like men, and we're going like, This is nuts. As part of the culture of confusion and stumbling into the darkness that we live in. Another, all religions are the same. That's absolute nonsense. Once you just read the primary sources and you'll see they're completely different there's only one that stands and totally different to all the rest get the mush out of your head and then how about there's no truth no truth absolutely and everything's relative absolutely you can't even say it without making a non-declarative absolute statement that's the world that we live in this is god's world And he's not pleased by that. Well, fight the good fight of faith and hold to the things that are precious and true. I don't care if you're the only one in the room, the factory, the classroom, the office, the team, the neighborhood, or your family. Number three, third principle. We must conduct ourselves in a manly way. Paul says, be men of courage. We are to evidence great courage. It takes courage. When times are easy, when you go to the beach, last time I know, it doesn't take a lot of courage, unless the water's a little cold. I don't think I'm going in today. It may take courage. When times are bad, you need courage. Now, this is an interesting word here, and let me really move. It's a dramatic word. It stresses masculinity. It's the word uh, not anthropo- anthropology. Most of That's men and women together. This is a word that just means men. And he's saying it to men and women and boys and girls that name the name of Christ. there at Corinth. He said, be men. Be mature in this thing. Stand with courage is the idea. One man writes, a mature person has a sense of control, confidence, and courage that a young believer just doesn't have. And Paul has already pled with him in 1420, don't be children in your thinking. They were, they were acting. Grow up, grow up. Don't stay in kindergarten. I remember when I was in kindergarten, I was all nervous, you know, the big thing there. My mother, she worked, at, Terry, you gotta learn to tie your shoes. You won't get the first grade till you tie your shoes. I don't know what they do anymore, but I, I didn't know, my colors, I had the time I I couldn't get that going the the, you know, the rabbit around the tree thing and I I, I was <laughs> not gonna I had a little wooden shoe they you practice on and and fun I don't I don't know I must have been a slow child or something but it's at the finally it was getting around April I was sweating a there and Miss Russius, my kindergarten teacher I faith is always amazed that I remember my elementary school teachers I'm sure they all remember me too but. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know, they're burned into my brain or something. I was scared I was going to have to remedial kindergarten. I mean, that's pretty bad. <laughs> but the day came and I got it. And I still remember that when I tie my shoes. I wear loafers a lot so I don't have to. <laughs> and I made it the first grade, right? Remedial. Like, come on, grow up. Grow up and think spiritual. Be men. I'm afraid. Be courageous. That's one of the reasons that Braveheart movie is so loved by men anyway. Willis, he's a man of courage. Stand up. Too many people wilt. Stand up for truth and right. How about even the gladiator? People love that. Here he is fighting. He already killed his wife and his son, and he's in the arena, and he's standing there with... And yeah, that's manliness, courage. Be men! It takes courage. Easy to go with the flow. Harder to stream, uh, swim upstream. Have you noticed that? You go downstream, boy. You can really do a good time in the pool. Go up, oh man! We need to be men and women of courage. That's what Paul was saying here. That's it. That's it. We must be. We must be. Well, how, how does a believer grow and mature? Second Peter 2 Peter two by longing for the pure milk of the word. The Bible provides spiritual, moral, should be nourishment. Second Timothy 3.16. Read it, study it, memorize it. We must move forward with great courage as we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords in this, our challenging day. Well, conduct yourself in a manly way. What? courage. Number four, 13. Fourth principle, we must be strong in the Lord's, so that we may do His, His will. He says, "Do be, be, the words be strong. Again, it's a command. This yet is a passive word. It uh, doesn't mean that we find the strength in ourselves. Rather, it only comes to us as we submit to Christ. Don't you love that? Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's, it's a passive word. What do I mean by that? If, 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 if a lot of you are members of uh, fitness clubs or you have a little gym in your house or something and, or you've got weights sitting around that maybe some are filling up with dust. I mean, they shouldn't be. But, you know, you go like, I'm going to work out. In January I made this New Year resolution. I'm going to press some iron. I'm going to do this and that, right? I'm going to do it. That would be active. That's you doing it. Here we receive it. The strength is given to us. Isn't that great? I wish that worked that way in the physical realm. Lord, I'm ready. I like those biceps. Make the delts. Uh, how about the pectorals? <laughs> I'm ready to receive it. <laughs> Doesn't work that way physically. You got you to go and you got to pay a price, right? Discipline, self-denial, all that all that tough stuff to get the good result. This is different. This is we pray, we seek the Lord, and God gives it to us as the object of, of this. He strengthens us as we submit ourselves to Him in prayer. He's delighted to give us the strength that we need. You say, oh, I got this, it's out there, it's coming. The Lord gives us strength day by day by day. He doesn't give you a great reservoir full, and now you're ready for the next, like a tank. I'm good for the next month. No, it's a day by day. He strengthens us for the things He asks us to do day by day by day. Be strong in the Lord. Another thing that is true is we grow in strength and use our strength. He gives us more. Now, in that way, it's like physical working out. The, the process of lifting weights, you break down your, your muscle fibers, and then the, way, the amazing way God made our bodies, they, they repair and they grow back even stronger to be able to handle the load. And you do that time after time, and you begin to get some definition and some health and, and, and all those kind of things, good things that come with it. Well, spiritual strength that God gives is the same way. When he gives it to us, and as we use it, we grow stronger in the things of the Lord. It's a wonderful thing. Some of you are rather wimpy in the things of Christ because God has given you strength, but you've wilted under. I can't do this, Lord. God, help us in this. If you don't stand in strength for the Lord, for some things you'll fall for everything to change a little adage that most of us know. Well, we're so weak, aren't we, B? God must strengthen us And don't you love that Isaiah 40? They that wait upon the Lord. That's wait in prayer. That's wait in study. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Mount up and fly like eagles. You ever see a tired tired eagle? I've never seen one. Man, oh man. That's what I need. He'll give it to you. He will. And the The last and fifth principle, we must be a loving people. That's what he says in verse 14. Do everything. Dear Corinthians, dear blessed family here at Grace Church, do everything. We must be a loving people in all that we do. And this is written, it's a present imperative. You do it and you're never finished with it. It's without end. Always do this. Always. Always. Without this love. and Now, don't miss this. The other four principles could make us rather crusty, militant, and hard. Without the the love of God in us, we were just, I'm going to stay alert, I'm going to be firm, I'm going to be manly, I'm going to be strong, could make us militaristic, candidates for military school or something. But it's this fifth thing that is all important. It is the loving way in which we love the Lord vertically, but then we love each other. That softens all the edges. Peter wrote that, and I have that on the sheet uh, in 1 Peter 4. We are to love each other deeply, fervently, even from the heart. That's the kind of church we want to have here at Grace. We want to be men and women of the truth, but not hard-hearted, this is where I stand, that's it, and cut everyone off at the knees. No, but we love each other. We're for each other, and we believe each other. We hope the best, and want the best, and work the best, and, and what? Love covers a multitude of sin. It does. It does. That's, that's what we need to be here. The Corinthians were not that. They needed to be that. Love softens, doesn't it? Now, our family often mention it between my dad and my mom. My dad loved us very much, but his love has manifested quite a bit different. Now, if I ever needed, and I was in deep trouble, it was my father. I needed. I needed his strength, and his love was there. But it was my mother who would come and, and receive us into her, her soft, mushy. Just well, I have to take a deep breath. I went in there. My grandmother was the same way. I was going to die in there and smother in my motherly, my mother's hug. You know, just the softness of that is beautiful, right? That loving, that love needs to permeate all that we do. All of it. All of it. We need to be that way. And uh, again, this is not something we muster up. It's like strength in principle four. It's given to us. Aren't you glad of that? Don't have to work up. To, I'm going to be loving today. No. <laughs> it's the fruit of the spirit, and though know, it's the word, it's the word agape here, a form of that. It's the love of God. where we where we deem the best of others? We're all rascals. We're all stinkers. We're all deserve hell, but God saves us. He knits our hearts together and we're family. And we're to exude and permeate the love of God in all that we do. Well, be, keep uh, fervent in your love. This love comes from the Lord. 1 John 4 7, let us love one another for love comes from God. You know what? I thought about that this morning in my prayer time. This is really, if you think about it, all five of these principles are the picture of the Lord Jesus. They are. Just think about it. Was he ever in a spiritual stupor? Never. Was he walking around like, Lord, hey, Jesus, where are you going? You going, going to synagogue today? Mm, I don't think so. You know, I just, I haven't had my depots lately, and I don't think so. Right? What about firm? Did he stand firmly upon the truth? Absolutely. Satan, it is written. Did he? Have, he didn't have it anywhere. Was he manly? You bet. Was he panicked when he arrested him? He knew what was coming. Stood there courageously. Drank the whole cup. Beautiful. Do you see him whimpering, whining? Father, I did all this. Why are you letting this happen? No, none of that. None of it. It's a picture of the Lord. Was he strong in doing the Father's will? All the way to the end. Was he loving in all that he did? You bet. In all of it, permeates the love of God. He touches the leper. Well, why does the text tell us that? No one ever touched lepers. Get away from me. He touched them. He cared for the widows, the sick, the maimed, even the dead he raised. He was gentle. He's easily entreated. The tax collectors and sinners, the riffraff, felt comfortable around him. He was a loving man and all that he did. Well, lessons for life number one. We must stay alert. Stay alert for there are many dangers in this world. And if you've fallen asleep, ask the Lord to forgive you, repent of it, and change today. Today! Lord, forgive me. I've allowed my mind to be filled with the cares of this world. Listen, it happens. Forgive me, Lord. Let me begin to study my Bible, read the proverb of the day, read some of the Psalms, get into the Gospel of John, speak to me, teach me, Lord, help me, wake up. Number two, be men and women who hold the biblical convictions without wavering. Stand firm, stand tall, be counted. What a privilege. Biblical convictions. This is what the Word of God says, and that's where I stand. Oh, we need people like that. God's looking for people that will stand for Him. Number three, ask the Lord to give you strength to live for Him every day. Lord, I'm weak, I'm feeble, I can't do this. Strengthen me, and He will do that. I promise you. He gives me strength every day. I ask Him for it. Ask the Lord to give you strength every single day to live for Him. Number four, major in having and expressing love for one another. Major in that with words and notes and kindness and care. Be that kind of person. Let's be that kind of church. Let's break our necks to care for each other and for those outside as we reach out and care for those around us. It's love. Behold how they love one another. And number five and last, maybe your great need is this morning to be saved. We're talking about a personal Savior, not an institutional Savior. Christ is personal. You must be born again individually. You must realize that you're a sinner. and Because of that, you're under the wrath of God. There's a heaven to be gained, a hell to be shunned. And you must personally receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, repenting, turning from your sin, confessing it to be saved. Well, how should a Christian live in a godless world? How do we do so? And in, in just one word answers be alert, be firm, be manly, be strong. But most of all, and through it all, be loving. Paul's words to the Corinthians, oh, they're so apropos to us. Shall, shall we stand and be dismissed with a word of prayer? And I remind you, Rob's going to show us.